Hey guys, so I know that I said this week would be a publication about poverty and food, but I actually got an interview with the organizer of Here to Serve. So you're going to be hearing that this week, but it actually ties in really, really well with all of the episodes that we've been talking about with poverty overall. So I hope you will really enjoy my conversation with her. She has some really great insights and I've really enjoyed working with her over the past uh, few months and I will be continuing to work with her down at Here to Serve. So um, here is my interview with Emily of Here to Serve. Uh, So before we get into this episode, I do want to have a disclaimer. There is mention of death in this episode. We are talking about um, the homeless and unfortunately it is a reality for them, especially living out in these frigid temperatures like we had this past weekend in Columbus. And on that note, I do want to mention a friend of here to serve that unfortunately did pass away due to those freezing temperatures. His name was Carl Mahone and to people that knew him he was an extremely sweet man and um, unfortunately he was caught up with the cops through no fault of his own and they released him just a few days ago. He had no way to prepare for this cold snap that came through and unfortunately he was not able to get in with the hotel program because he was locked up during the time that the program was starting up. just want to take a moment to remember Carl and for all of the people who have lost their lives trying to survive in this type of weather and this type of life because it is not something that anybody should have to go through. Um, so I just want to take a moment and, um, mention that it will be talked about in this episode. So please be aware of that. And, um, here is my interview with Emily. All right, so today we are here with Emily, who runs the organization Here to Serve, and we're going to be interviewing her about that organization. So Emily, can you share with our listeners how your organization initially started, what motivated you to focus on helping the homeless population? Yeah, sure, absolutely. Um, So I myself have lived experience being unsheltered when I was 18, Um, even though it was like a brief time in my life, uh, it was still pretty impactful in terms of how difficult it was. In addition to me being unsheltered, my aunt also froze to death outside of a homeless shelter um, in 2018. Uh, and that was, I mean, obviously, I think anybody who feels that way, but it was pretty shocking. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, so 
I've kind of had a lot of lived experience and personal experience. And then in 2015, I went to, I started school at Columbus State mm-hmm. um, for social work because I thought maybe this is something I would be good at. Maybe right. this is something that I like and, you know, I can, I can try to figure out how to make this a career, but also something that I love mm-hmm. um, because I just, I don't see myself doing anything long-term that I don't love. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I just don't, <laughs> don't want to do that in my life. Um, yeah, I can see that. Yeah. Which, yeah. Which makes it a little bit more difficult, but that's, that's just kind of how I've always felt. Um, but yeah, so in 2020 is when Here to Serve initially, you know, started, um, mm-hmm. and you know, September of 2020. So we'd been in the pandemic for a little while at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, my kids were home, and I was in the community delivering meals. So I had been out working with other groups, you know, just as a volunteer to deliver meals. And, you know, it was contactless. And we had all these things in place, you know, to, to make sure we could get food to people. But I serve in the same area that I live. And mm-hmm. so I was seeing who wasn't being served, people right. who weren't getting, you know, even a basic meal because everybody had shut down and now it was terrifying to be around people. Right. Um, and so, you know, I was at Lowe's and my cashier was crying because she, she wasn't able to get food for her kids. And even though she had money, she had transportation, she had, you know, everything she needed, she still couldn't access it. So what does that really look like for folks? So I started mm-hmm. asking around on social media, you know, hey, just do folks have any extra blankets, mm-hmm. you know, uh, warm clothing, um, tents, tarps, you know, anything that you could think of that you would need if you were sleeping outside. Right. And people were really sweet. They would donate a lot of stuff. They would chime in. Hey, I've got this. Hey, come pick up this, you know. And I was doing multiple pickups a week. Um, That's great. Kind of even initially. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so other people were like, Hey, can I come? Can I help? Can mm-hmm. I come set up? And so we had a, <laughs> we had a Facebook group chat and that's all we had. We didn't have a name. We didn't have a page. We didn't, we had none of that stuff. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until we had been serving for almost a year okay. that we were like, Hey, we should have a name. Right. That, right. That this would make sense if we like yeah. name this thing that we do every Saturday at the same mm-hmm. time in the same place with the, with these folks. Mm. Um, and so I kind of, uh, you know, thought, all right, well, I guess we should, we should do this. So what motivated me to do this was just the fact that people needed help and I could see that I could be in that capacity. Like I could genuinely help. And I had, these additional pieces of, okay, I've had this, I've lived, I've had classes literally called helping skills. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like yeah. that, it translated really well, obviously, because this is a big piece of social work. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, that, that, uh, that felt like a, just a really good fit. So, it's amazing that you built it so organically. Like you're just like, hey, do people have this? And then other people are like, hey, I want to come join you. And you're just like, okay, we just have this Facebook group. And you're like, oh, maybe I should name it. Like, that's amazing. How did you come up with the name? I didn't. You didn't? I okay. didn't. I love this. This is like, this, this story is not told often enough, in my opinion. 
I didn't. I did not name it. Okay. Um, so where did the name come from? Very organically. Okay. Um, so the park that we were next to that we served to, mm-hmm. because, you know, public lots, right? We could mm-hmm. set up in a public lot mm-hmm. for this, this type of serve. Because um, we had an outdoor fire pit, which was really cool. And that's, mm-hmm. we would all gather around the fire pit, you know, for that warmth and things like that. And so um, the, the park next to us that, that was about to be closed down was called Here Park, mm-hmm. H-E-E-R. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I've lived in this area. I've lived on the far south side of Columbus for 15 years. You know, I, I knew this park. I had taken my children to this park when it was open years ago. And, you know, because it's right in the middle of, like, all this shopping and residential. But there's not a lot of green spaces, right? This yeah. is, like, a really nice green space. Um, and so we were standing in the parking lot. And it was me and probably, oh, my gosh, I don't even know, maybe eight or nine volunteers, you know, we were at the tables we had set up, which, which wasn't a whole lot then. We even had this plastic wrap that we would, it was this huge roll I would carry in my car, which was so (laughs) inconvenient, but we would put it down and then just unroll it Mm -hmm. and we would put things on it and people would just come up and take a couple things, you know, off and we could see um, what was taken and we could just replace it. Right. Yeah. We didn't have that much. That was like your replacement tarps. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So it was like, here's our offering. Everybody can see yeah. our way, you know, our offering. I'd say wares, but we're not selling anything. Yeah. Our, our, yeah. our offerings here. Um, and so we were, we were standing there and, you know, we were just kind of goofing around with, with, you know, saying different things. And um, I don't even, honestly, I couldn't even tell you who said it, but they said, uh, variations of here you know it started first it was you know friends of the park or friends of you know whatever and then it was well no you know that that doesn't really sound like we are friends but eh, you know yeah and then they started kicking around with the name here um and somebody said here to serve we are here to serve yeah and we all just kind of perked up and we were like that that's it. I think that's the one. And because your location, you made sure to spell, spell it, it with yes. the two E's. Yes. That's really, that's really amazing how, how organic that is. Like how you started organically. It was named organically. Like that's just, that's so awesome. I love hearing stories like that. That's great. It's great. What specific services does your organization provide to the homeless community beyond just meals and basic necessities? Mm, That's a good question. So aside from a hot meal, which is, you know, not to be downplayed in and of itself, because that does require a lot of moving parts and pieces. In terms of necessities, so most places will provide maybe clothing. um, They may provide like hygiene. Typically, it's not both. Um, and then it's usually not more than that. So in terms of what we do provide every serve and we always have, so we've got our hot meal. We also provide non-perishables to get people through the week. So we're thinking ahead. We're letting them know we're thinking ahead. Um, and in that we have like breakfast foods, other, you know, foods that you don't need a kitchen to eat. Um, so, you know, just ready to make, which is again, thinking ahead. We also provide, uh, some toiletries. So we'll provide, 
maybe wipes if we have them. We'll typically sometimes get really mass quantities of things and it takes us, you know, many serves to get them out. So wipes if we get them, toilet paper, shampoo, conditioner, which I know is kind of that hygiene thing, but razors, uh, lotions, we'll give out vitamins, you know, really kind of dig down into that a little bit more. We provide first aid items, so like bandages, um, you know, wraps, uh, you know, kind of like the other things that go into that, um, triple antibiotic or triple antibacterial cream, you know, that those kind of things that mm-hmm. are really going to be, again, thinking ahead, a little bit more preventative. If we can get you using that consistently, then, you know, we might not have to take you to the ER as often, or you could prevent an infection by using this. Um, we also have somebody on site for wound care. So if folks need to see somebody, we can have somebody give their opinion um, that is trained. Um, we do have OSU that will come down with their Heart for the Unhoused um, resident advisor who is a, a nurse who also will help us kind of figure out if people do need to go to the ER, um, what what their care, like, next steps kind of look like. Mm-hmm. Um we will, we typically also have a barber come. We have like a rotating schedule with them, a couple barbers that come. And then we also have uh, harm reduction. Harm reduction is a core piece for us. We always have uh, Narcan, fentanyl test strips, you know, other bags of necessary items that folks need um, in terms of safe use. And then condoms, you know, th- things like that that are going to prevent disease and also prevent other unwanted uh, possibilities. We'll go with that one. Um, yeah. Yeah. So we do try to be a little bit more comprehensive. I mean, we offer just uh, in addition to the clothing and the shoes and the toiletries and the food and the non-perishables, we also offer books mm-hmm. from Prologue Bookshop, which is in the short north. They're a wonderful place that has supported us immensely, um, which has been really really kind of fascinating, really kind of surprising, if I'm being honest. Um, Why surprising? Because they're uh, a small bookstore, right? And so mm-hmm. when I think of today's landscape, especially for like small bookstores, they're not the most in demand, right? The internet right. has seen declining, you know, sales continuously. Right. So from a, a business mm-hmm. to be thinking about the community in so many capacities, right? In so many mm-hmm. ways to help, like doing a, a book sale day where a hundred, a hundred percent of the proceeds go to us. That's amazing. Is right. Even, even the largest companies don't do a hundred percent. So to have a small bookstore in 2023 doing something like that to me is surprising, but not in a bad way. I think to me, that's less surprising because so many corporations are focused so much on their bottom dollar, mm-hmm. whereas the small companies are usually way more involved with communities. Mm-hmm. So to me, that's less surprising, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just, and I love that you you hooked up with them. So yeah. that's amazing that you were able to like get in contact with them. But to me, in my mind, I actually find it less surprising that yeah. they that they would do that because that they want to be involved with the community and trying to build goodwill and I guess they can also get their name out there that way as well so which really we have I mean 
I know for sure I will be going there to buy books. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I will yeah. drive that extra 20 minutes to yeah. go to Prologue because they're awesome. Yeah. And if I'm going to spend my money anywhere, I'm going to spend my money there. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, that is true, but you don't usually see that follow through. Like companies are typically happy to take your money while not doing any of the actual work. Right. And so this for me is like a follow through and accountability. And I think that's what's so surprising. Right. right. Um, but yeah, so, so we've had, you know, a lot of support, um, which has helped us grow really consistently. And again, what has been surprising is a lot of business owners are contacting us. That's great. Um, which is, again, super amazing, super fantastic. Um, and they've been really helpful in terms of even getting this program going because we have the ability to say these small businesses have supported us in such a strong way before that right. when we need the help again, we already have these re- relationships well established, mm-hmm. well documented. Um, and we can go back and say, hey, like, you have helped us progress this far. Right. Let's keep it going. In what ways do you collaborate with local businesses, community members, and volunteers to support your mission? Um, such as I came to you through Matthew, who is involved with PSL, and that's how I heard about you, and I came to volunteer with you. Right. Um, PSL, in case anybody doesn't know, is a party for socialism and liberation. Yeah, so, oh, wow. So when we started, this is actually perfect. I kind of love this because I get to talk about one of my favorite people and one of my favorite organizations um, so in 2020, you know, September 2020, started here to serve. In December of 2020, I started working part-time for the Columbus Coalition for the Homeless, which is a local okay. nonprofit around here in Columbus that works with people who are unsheltered in various capacities. Um, and so I, I, there was a small staff of us because it was, you know, covid Vaccines had just started coming out. Um, people were still, you know, very hesitant, very scared. Uh, a lot of my friends I hadn't really talked to um, because I was doing all these meal deliveries and all these things where I was just go, go, going, and they yeah. were staying at home. Right. So it was, it was just vastly different. Um, and so in working at the coalition, I met my friend Heather Johnson, who is, the yin to my yang, like we we say that to each other all the time. Uh, I just adore and love Heather, and she is one of the co-founders for Just Justice, okay. Unity, yep. and Social Transformation. Um, I love, love, love Heather, and that's how I got here to serve, involved with Just, um, because we were, you know, working together. We're talking about all these things. We're bouncing ideas off of each other. We're talking about how do we share resources? Who do we reach out to? Right. How do we grow this? When, in terms of like somebody at that time who was, who could see a clear path, right? Who could mm-hmm. see that they wanted to move forward and that they had this vision and that they wanted, they wanted to, to not, I, I, cause I think, one of the one of the reasons that people 
get into this type of work where there's this social justice element is because they're feeling those feelings and this allows them to really push forward with those, right? Right, Their anger propels them. And I'm not saying that's not valid. I'm saying that there's different lanes for different emotions depending upon, you know, where you're at, what your cause is, things like that. What's often missed, in my opinion, a lane that's very often missed in this work is joy. Yeah. Everybody deserves joy regardless. And so having Heather as somebody who could really not only be as silly as me when I'm like, you know, talking to folks and with them, but match that joy and that enthusiasm was what I really needed in order to keep going. Yeah. Um, because even at that time, you know, September, October, November, December, that's four months of every single week organizing, you know, and just off of a Facebook group, you know. Yeah. Uh, and so I needed those kind of people in my life to not only say, hey, I think what you're doing is amazing and right. I support it, but also how can I come join? How can I make this easier for you? Right. How can I help shoulder this work? Right. And vice versa. How can we, like, reciprocate this? Right. Because it can be very tiring. It's exhausting. Yeah. It's absolutely I mean, you get, you get joy out of it. I mean, I remember the first time I came to the store, I talked to you, like, and I was feeling very big feelings. I mean, I cried that night, like, because, um, you know, I, I loved seeing the people and I loved helping them. But it was, you know, I saw the one man and he had told me how he had been hit by a train and somebody had pushed him in front of that train. And I I couldn't believe that somebody would would do that. And then you told me that that wasn't uncommon. Mm-hmm. And I'm just standing and I'm, I'm getting teary-eyed now because it just, it still baffles my mind that somebody could hate somebody so much just for being unhoused that they would push them in front of a train to take them out of this world. Yeah. And I, and that is just to to shoulder that while also trying to bring joy to them. Mm-hmm. And and that that's got to be so tiring. Uh, I think learning at a very young age in my life to compartmentalize has been incredibly helpful. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not saying that's the healthiest cuz it's not. <laughs> uh, I'm saying that's just where I, where I'm at. Um, right. And oftentimes, you know, we we get upset for folks because we it it, it comes from that feeling of they did not deserve this, right? They right. did not get something that they needed. Instead, they got something that was harmful for them. Um, and the the train piece honestly just reminds me of you know what we witnessed, uh, well documented. Of the unsheltered guy who was on a on a train on a subway, and he was essentially murdered because he was daring to express big emotions. Right. Right. And so that's that leads into that of people that we work with, that we know, that we love, that are our neighbors who don't live in fixed foundation homes. They don't have anywhere for those big feelings. And so when they see us and we say we care, we say we're here to help, they're going to release a lot of that. And our job is to kind of bear witness to that, to give them a space 
to say these things, to be able to process and have somebody to say, hey, you know what? You're valid. I hear you. I see you. I hear mm-hmm. these words. I hear your pain. And yeah, your feelings are valid. Yeah. That is really healing. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it, it seems like such a, a simple thing, but it is, it can be like so big for them. Yeah. Because, you know, I don't pretend to know what they've gone through. I've never, I've never been through something like that. But, you know, you say you have, and I can only imagine, obviously, I, I don't know. Like, I, I, I can't even express or even, be, I, I, can't, I guess I can't even imagine. You know, I've read books about, you know, studies done on the homeless, and it, it's it's not even... There's no way to even capture, mm-hmm. like, even when you see what they're feeling, mm-hmm. you, you know, like, you will never understand what that is unless you've been on that side. Yeah, I think we all have degrees we can understand. And I think, I think, too, when we look at our our media intake and our, our social media consumption, um, it also kind of clues us in on we we can see these things well documented. We have seen them before. Mm-hmm. Why is it now clicking? Right? What what is what has changed in this time period? And as we kind of process that, right, that leads a little bit further. Why are so many people unsheltered? What are mm-hmm. the factors that are playing into this? What does it look like in my area, my right. small area, comparatively? to other areas and so when we start doing that homework when we start really critically thinking about it we can recognize right our own our own kind of trials and tribulations that we're going through that are also very parallel to what our unsheltered siblings are going through right right? our our uh electric is increasing yeah our gas bills are increasing our rents are increasing right we are struggling i just talked about multiples of that on my podcast yes we're all struggling to keep up and so we're really thinking okay what would it look like for me in a functional day and i'm using the word functional here as in how would i get to work how would I eat? Yeah. Where would I sleep at night? If I were to lose this place, if I were to have a rent increase that I cannot afford and I can't find someplace else, what is that really going to look like for me? Yeah. And I think the reality of why so many people have been in denial about it and have kind of pushed that away is because thinking of this and thinking of this in these kind of terms of what does that look like for me and how am I going to now have to navigate these services I've told everybody are so easy to get, yeah. are so abundant, all of our tax dollars go to. Are actually not that easy. And now I'm going to have to figure out how to navigate them. And I know, maybe subconsciously, maybe consciously, I know that I am terrified to try to navigate a process like that that is so, uh, so something I've never had to mm-hmm. do before. Right? Because the reality sets in of like, okay, well, the people that I I do know that maybe have vouchers, 
maybe they struggle to find a landlord to accept that voucher. What does that look like for me? Right. So as people really kind of start to put themselves in that position, right. I think it is easier to empathize. And I think it's also terrifying for people. Right. Or like having the WIC or the food stamps, you know, people are embarrassed to use those in the stores because you have the other people who don't ever have to put, have never had to put themselves in that. And they are very judgmental. Absolutely. And they're like, well, why don't you buy better food? And the thing about that is, is that, and this is going to be one of my next episodes, I'm talking about poverty and food. Um, you know, food that's better for you, food that is more nutritional for you is more expensive. So realistically, these people would love to buy better food, more nutritional food. However, they can't make their money or the money that they get on these food stamps stretch that long mm-hmm. to be able to feed themselves. Right. Or So, it, I mean, go ahead. Or I'm unsheltered. I get food stamps. Yeah. Where, where am I storing all these apples mm-hmm. and oranges? And I don't have a refrigerator. Right. There's animals that come into my tent when I'm not there. Right. There's other people that may take my food. Right. <clears throat> what am I supposed to do? Yeah. In these instances, right, with that logic, yep. how are people supposed to do this? I used to work at a food pantry. I used to work at Clintonville Resource Center Food Pantry. A hundred, Over 150 families were served a day. A day. Yeah. And they would have produce. They would have, you could come in every single day and get produce. And there were people who came in every single day to get produce from the food pantry. And it's still not enough. Yeah. So, even following that logic, going down that rabbit hole, you'd have to tailor your hours to, to go get the food because they're only open 12 to 4. Right. Monday through, Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, right? Yep. So, if you're working, trying to make ends meet to pay your rent, yep. where you don't have enough money left over for food, well, good luck, right? It still doesn't track, and that's, that's the problem, right? We're working 40, 50, 60, 70 hours, yep. and yet... We're having to rely on food banks. Okay, well, let's not work 40, 50, 60, 70 hours and grow our own food. Yep. Boom, there's a problem solved right there. Yeah, but having access to the land, right. having access right. to, you know, soil, having access to the knowledge to grow. Right. Having access to um, soil if you need it and the money to get the soil, having access to the seeds. I mean, all of that is something that, you know, many people I'm sure would love to do, but like me, I have a black thumb. I can kill cactus. Like my mother can grow anything. I have never been able to grow anything. Right. And I mean, this, this, is, this is privilege, right? That we are yeah. talking about the privilege. Yeah, also, absolutely. But also, if we're going to dig deeper to problem solve, to root problem solve, then the solution is community gardening. It's communal gardening, right? And that means talking to your neighbor. When I went to Germany, I was in Germany for like nine nine days. Um, And my friend was living in this, you know, neighborhood in this, you know, German town. And the entire 
neighborhood that she was in, which was these, you know, consists of basically like two blocks, basically. Mm-hmm. Everybody coordinated what they grew. Everybody had a garden and everybody coordinated what they grew. So they could trade. So they could trade. And yep. they had specific days that they would go and trade. And it was, you know, this neighbor, that neighbor, you know, all of that. That's amazing. Right. And so if we we look at that model one, we can do that in a lot of areas. Mm-hmm. In apartment buildings, probably not so much. Or other spaces where there's not a lot of green, right? Right. But again, that's where we come up with these creative solutions. There is pot grown. Not, not, not green right. pot growing. Container gardening. <laughs> container, sorry. Container growing. There's container gardening. And this is where you can come in with like... You don't need a lot of space and you don't need a lot of light to grow like herbs, right? Herbs, Things like that. Tomatoes, right. cucumbers, potatoes. Potatoes actually grow no, in no light. Yeah. yeah. So you can put those things in trash bags. You really can. So that's that's the beautiful part of it. With cooperation, with communal cooperation. Yeah. We can have these things. And these are the solutions if we dig deep enough yeah. to want to provide that. And yeah. so um, in terms of, yeah, like food and food deserts, which there are people, again, who live in food deserts, who even if they wanted to go to the grocery store to buy this, you know, healthy food, they yes. can't. Yes. Um, I actually had a post on Instagram the other day. Um, there was somebody bashing on a Native American for not eating vegan. And I was like, Native Americans typically live in food deserts, and he probably caught that fish himself. Are you kidding me? Like, not only is it part of Native American life to go and kill the animals yourself and use every single piece of that animal, but they live in food deserts. Mm -hmm. He probably doesn't have a grocery store within 75 miles of him. And even if he did, there's nothing wrong no. with the way he's choosing to be sustainable. No, there's not, because that is part of their cultural life. Like, you know, there there's so many things I've had to relook at in terms of... Um, and that's kind of a whole different subject. I'm not even going to go there because <laughs> I, I could talk about that for hours. But um, just, just in terms of that, like, it was it was really, like... I'm like, how can you look at, at this and just, like, really this, like, he was just trying to bring you into his culture and you're bashing him for not being a vegan. This wasn't a post about being vegan. Was it a white man? Oh, yeah. It was absolutely a white okay, man. Okay, yeah. So, like, <laughs> white man being peak white man. Yeah. Uh, I yeah. think because they only view through their lens. You know, and, and they think everybody has to, I mean, it's like that colonizer mentality of, yeah. you know, this is the way it's always been done. Yeah. And it's like, bro, no, not at all. Yeah. But that's what they want to push because that's what they're comfortable with. Yeah. And so to be any other way, and I think in, in those capacities, I, I do want to say that I understand making the choice not to eat eat animals no i mean that it's i'm not saying being vegan is a bad choice right but when you're trying to push it on somebody who culturally is going and not relying on the complex of industrialized meats it is very different than choosing to be vegan because you're against the industry of meat packing and and industrialized meats um 
it, it's it's a very different process when you look at it that way because like i said he went out and and fished that fish right. himself from the land he is going out and hunting the deer himself right you know and they're using every single part of that deer i guarantee it right you know it's very different than going and buying packaged meat from the store that you don't know where it came from and they did horrible things too right you know it's it's very different right you know um but yeah, it's a different <laughs> it's a different relationship with your food yes um you know because it, you're the, in terms of supporting the environment and supporting biodiversity and supporting uh, sustainable practices, going out and fishing your own fish is a sustainable practice. You're yes. not you're not fishing twenty five fish out of the stream. No, you're fishing one, two, maybe three, right? Yeah. And it's just you. You're not yeah. having a group of people. It's just so it's so different. And the the thankfulness, the gratitude mm-hmm. of you know, this is my dinner, this mm-hmm. is, you know, what this sacrifice was, and so I am, mm-hmm. again, I'm yeah. going to be sustainable in my practices yeah. by using every piece, by, yeah. you know, coming back and supporting in this way and things like that. I think of, yeah. like, I think of some indigenous uh, communities that would help salmon go up the river by carrying yes. them in little baskets. They also ate the salmon, right? Yeah, but and they so, also help them spawn. Right, that's what I'm saying. Like, it's this relationship of uh, reciprocity where we're yeah. not just over-consuming and things like yeah. that. So, no, I, I totally agree. Yeah. I'm not going to tell other cultures what to do. No. <laughs> All right. Could you discuss the significance of harm reduction in your organization's approach and how it plays a role in addressing the challenges faced by the homeless population? Heck yeah. Uh, Stable housing is harm reduction. So like that is a hill I will die on every day, all day, any day. Um, People don't necessarily put it in that context, right? People are not looking at stable consistent housing as harm reduction. Me, that's the heart of it. Um, So how do we do that? So in terms of working with folks who are unsheltered, there's a ton of trauma. Like out the gate, if you're going to be working with population and this is the population you're going to be working with, that is the mentality that you need to have. There is a ton of trauma. Now how that translates is different ways, right? But that foundational knowledge of this this is what we're going into. This is what we need to be prepared for, I think, is what helps people move the best in terms of moving forward. You're starting at scratch. Mm-hmm. These are folks who, for so many different reasons, don't even have a stable place, right? They don't have a home to go to, whatever the reason. And there's very, very many. Right. And so I think of... I, in, in that kind of capacity, I think of, like, self-esteem, right? We really want people to feel good about themselves, regardless of where they're at. We always want folks to feel good about themselves, right? And so these are folks who need so much love and who need so much care that that has to be the foundational work. How do we build trust with them through love and care? Which is harm reduction. And that says, hey... I'm not here to tell you what to do, right? Mm -hmm. I'm not here to be your savior. I'm not here to be your parent. I'm not here to do any of that. What Mm -hmm. I am here is to say, 
you're a human being. I love you, fellow human being, because mm-hmm. you exist. Not for any other reason, not for what you can do for me, or I can do, and not for any other reason, but right. because you exist and you deserve support. Right. You didn't ask to be here. Right. So how how do we support each other? Right. And so none of us asked to be here. Right. I mean, like. Our parents decided, and now we're here, and we have to deal with life. Right. <laughs> and so so I thought, like, how, how do we start this, right? And um, one of my favorite mottos, too, is that food is love. Yes. If I'm going to feed you. My right? my love language is food. Right. right. <laughs> so. <laughs> and so food is a great way to draw people in. It's not considered controversial. Mm-hmm. It meets a basic need. It is hot when you're cold. It is cold when you're hot. You know, there's all these different things. People have their favorites. There's emotional responses to those favorites as well. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that is one of the, you know, hot food is harm reduction. So we have that piece. And then we have, you know, the piece of like, okay, again, I'm not here to tell you what to do. If you're going to be using needles or rigs. Right. So there's things that come from that. There's potential abscesses. Mm-hmm. There's, you know, infection. There's, you know, all these things that can come from that. How do we help mitigate that for you? And again, that's that triple antibiotic. That's the gauze. That's the wound care. You know, that's the checking in to see, hey, is it time for us to go to the ER now? Mm-hmm. Or do we need to make this other appointment? How, where do we navigate from? Mm-hmm. Which literally keeps people alive, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've had somebody, we've had a few people, but uh, when we had been serving for probably, I think like a year and a half, we were still in the old parking lot, and one of our residents came, and he didn't know his name, he didn't know what day it was, he didn't know where he was, and you could smell the infection off of him, like you could just smell it, you oh, know. Wow. And because he was so confused and he was, you know, very out of it, very disoriented, we knew something is wrong. Something is incredibly sepsis? wrong. He was he was turning septic. He had been hit by a car, um, like probably six months prior, and they had put screws in his wrist, mm-hmm. and the screws in his right wrist had become infected, and he didn't know. And so his body was just getting worse and worse and worse, honestly, by the hour at that point. And had we not taken him, that he would have died. He was he was in the ICU for four days. He ended up having to have two surgeries after that. Um, when he came back out, man, they had ripped his whole arm open and had, oh, it was, yes. That is so scary. And so, you know... We really, really, really work hard on this harm reduction piece. So in terms of what Here to Serve offers, these are the things that we we work hard with. And then we always partner with somebody who is a harm reduction organization because I can do so many things, but I can't do everything. And so in terms of having that partner who is able to get all the things that are really, really, really involved in more of like the medical or the technical side, right? Things that you would really associate with harm reduction, maybe like glass pieces or mouth pieces, you know, Mm -hmm. things like that. 
one, if they're a nonprofit, which they usually are, they're going to be able to get better deals, you know, all the things like that. They can do their own fundraising. And as long as we partner closely at our serves, then everybody's getting what they need. And so that's, that's why we always have a core harm reduction partner. And for the last over a year now, which is really wild, we have partnered with Humbly Aligned Inc. And they are a nonprofit. Um, Nicholas Hurst is their founder. Um, and together we even have a bus, uh, a retired party bus that we use to transport residents. Um, and Nick is in, in recovery himself. Um, so in terms of peer support for the residents, it's really, really amazing. It's been really helpful. I personally have never had any experience with addiction. Mm -hmm. And so there's a lot I don't know. And I'm very like forthcoming about that. Mm -hmm. Uh, and so again, it's really important to rely on Nick. Uh, and other folks who do have this experience to come in and say, hey, like, this is our, mm -hmm. this is more of our lane. Let's, like, come in here and, and provide support for this and, you know, kind of give residents more support, right? Because now yeah. we're widening the safety net for them. Right. And saying, hey, here's all these folks that can be in your corner. They're right. here for you. They can understand what you're going through. There's not going to be as much friction because there is a lot more understanding here. Right, right. Um, and I know you have, you know a lot of the residents by name. Like, so, so many of them. Um, you know, does that make it easier when you're interacting with them and there are issues? Oh, 100%. It makes it a lot easier. Um and because folks know me, I do a lot of one-on-ones with residents, and that sounds really formal. It's not. It's very sporadic, random. Um, but I would be at the camps, you know, and I'd say, oh, hey, such and such, they'd be walking by. Come, come sit in my car. Like, let's talk for a minute what's going on. Or I'd see a resident in distress. You know, I would be a witness to their big feelings, and I would ask them, hey, you know, do you want to sit? Do you want to, uh, especially if it's cold, hey, do you want to sit in the warmth? If it's hot, hey, do you want to sit in the cool, you know? Typically, I have what I lovingly refer to as car food. Um, and car food is ever-changing. It's basically whatever food I have in my car at that time. Uh, right now, it's a crap ton of beans. So, you know, sometimes it's good car food. Sometimes it's not really what you want. Um, but if I have something to offer, I'll always, you know, offer that to residents. And sometimes, again, it's good stuff. Like, hey, do you want a popsicle? Uh, other times, it's... Haiti wants beans. Um, so it helps to really build those relationships. And people, it allows me the ability to, to kind of joke around with them and get a, get a little bit better feel for their personality and, you know, what their day-to-day -day is a little bit like. Uh, and, to, and to also do them the favor of not judging them, right? I'm, they Oftentimes, residents will apologize to me when they're having big feelings. Um, and I'm there to witness them and I, I just tell them like, you're allowed to have your big feelings. I'm not here to judge you. I'm not here to filter you. I'm not, not any of these things. We're all sharing space. Right. So I think that's really helpful for them too. And kind of building that rapport and that trust. Um, and I think that's really it. They know they can trust me. Other folks will tell them, you know, talk to Emily or, you know, get a hold of Emily she helps us, she does this, she does that. And there is that consistency that has been built 
um, you know, over this the last three and a half years. That's great. That's great. Have there been any notable success stories or impactful moments that stand out in your work with the unhoused community? Uh, yeah, we've had quite a few um, successes. So we had one resident who was amongst one of the first to get um, housed. And so they went into a treatment program, which we helped, we helped them with, like facilitate with transportation and then we stayed in contact with them while they did their um, program and that was really great um and then afterwards you know we still stayed in touch so they went from doing a program to then working for the program and then you know they were able to transition to their own home while still working for the program um and i count that as a big success and we do still stay in touch with that resident um and then I think of, like, uh, a couple other people that have been housed through, like, non-traditional means. Um, we had a resident who we were moving, um, like, we were basically getting, like, these small jobs, right? I was mm-hmm. working with local people in the community who said, hey, I just need my stuff moved. Like, either I need you to load up the moving truck or I need you to, you know load it up and then take it to this place and unload it, whatever it was. And I would get residents to help. Right. And so we would move the things and we would like, they would make cash that day. They could work for a couple hours, Mm -hmm. get paid cash. You know, everybody wins in that, in that capacity. So I had somebody that, um, she was moving her and the person she was with split up. And so the house that they owned together was going to be completely empty for 30 days. Okay. And so this resident really bonded with this person, this community member, um, while they were moving. They were helping to move her stuff out, mm-hmm. out of this house. And so she talked to this resident. She said, you know, would you consider living here temporarily for 30 days and cleaning up these things in mm-hmm. exchange for you staying here free, right? No oh, wow. rent. Yeah. No utilities. But you'll patch the walls, like you can plaster that, or okay. you can clean up the floors and things like that. Um, and so it gave her this opportunity to have thirty days of a reprieve that mm-hmm. she really utilized well. And in that time, she got a job. Wow. She was able to get reconnected with some of her family. She was able to then move out of that house in that thirty days and move into her own place. And so now she's still stably housed. And I think that that's a huge testament to, you know, what community impact can be. That is um, amazing. And I, yes, I consider that very much a success. And I still talk to them. Uh, on, we're Facebook friends, so I get to see, like, their progress. Um, and so, you know, I, I it's been really great. And then in, in other terms, as far as successes, like this program, you know, I'm very yeah. proud of this program. Um, I spent a lot of time in meetings, which, you know, I think a lot of people are like, oh, meetings, you know, whatever, they're normalized. I hate meetings. I'm so anxious about meetings. So to do six months of meetings were at times we're meeting two and three times a week. There were times like I was about to log on and I just wanted to throw up. And so, (laughs) yeah. So let's, um, you mentioned the program and that was going to be a question for later, but since you mentioned it, um, let's tell the people what this program is 
what um what is this program that you just mentioned yeah so this program is a transitional housing program where we were able to get our residents behind Fairlane, which is like the main camp that we've been supporting, working with for the last three years, three three plus years. Um, we were able to get them into this program. And so we have hotel rooms um, for now for at least four months. We're hoping to extend that to at least six months. And then we're engaging residents with service providers on site so that they're able to more rapidly access permanent supportive housing, which will then place them into their own apartments outside of, you know, these hotel rooms. Mm -hmm. And it'll help them, you know, have their rent paid for the year because they need this higher level of care. It'll allow them to have, like, multiple case managers and various aspects to help, like, get them stabilized. And then there's other opportunities from that. Um, and so sometimes, you know, people stay in these programs and they uh, continue with their vouchers and, and things like that. Um, and, and they stay stabilized. And other folks um, use that combined with other opportunities to then get out of those spaces, right? So that they're, right. they're paying fair market value rent or, you know, something similar. Right. Um, but yeah, yeah. So the, those are the ones that I can offhand think of that were we're very kind of earlier on, mm-hmm. um, aside from like the program. But I guess I'm just also really proud of all the community connections we have. Right. Um, so we have program hours at Safe Point, which is a clean needle exchange. Okay. And so they don't just have clean needles; they have in addition to that they have like first aid items they also have like harm reduction items so that means like mouthpieces for pipes it means mm-hmm. glass pieces it means condoms lube uh tourniquets uh cottons um just like things that people need in order to stay safer right so that mm-hmm. there there's not neg- more negative impacts nor more harm done to right. them Right, through their use. Right. So it's, it's harm reduction. Right. Um, like, you you would hope that you can give people space to stop if they would want to, but you can't force that on somebody if they don't want to do that. So you're giving them the space to reduce that harm that they are doing. Right. Yeah, we're not trying to, to tell people what their trajectory is. Um, what we are trying to do is say, hey, we're meeting you where you're at. We're right. supporting you where you're at. Um, we love you where you're at. Right. Um, there is no condition on this. Right. Uh, so that's like, that's really what we try to emphasize. Um, and that's why Safe Point, I'm really proud of Safe Point. I feel really connected to that program so that we can get our residents what they need. Um, that otherwise they're not going to, right? There's There's not a lot of people that are going around passing out clean needles and especially I want to be like very specific about this especially doing it legally right because that comes with that great risk whereas at safe point taking being able to take residents directly to safe point allows us to have a bit of that safety to be to to let our residents be around like-minded people in the sense of like there's no shame here there's no judgment a lot of the staff are either people who are former users or you know, maybe still currently use or, you know, part-time, like there's all these different, um, different folks that have experience 
that they're able to connect, kind of connect a little bit more and mm-hmm. feel a little bit more of that camaraderie right. in those even like more professional, you know, care sites. Right. right. I forget. I'm it's like verbal. You can't see it, but I'm doing bunny ears when I say professional because I don't really know what professional means. <laughs> quote unquote. Oh yeah, quote unquote. I said bunny ears. Yeah, that's what I meant. Uh, um so going back to what you said about uh the like 30 days that um that one resident had to really transition and the like just that small step that she had to really just change her life around it's really something people don't realize that is that small thing just having a roof over your head that can make that big a difference um how much has of a difference have you noticed in the residents since they've been housed through this program yeah that's a really good question um a huge difference uh and like before we started you know recording this i was talking to a resident said you look better and i mean that in the sense of like there's more color to their cheeks they look more awake they they have freshly showered you know what I mean like there's there is a difference in how they feel being here having a bed to sleep in having that roof over their head and so um yeah like the general vibe has been really good the general vibe has been you know people are just feeling I think a bit more refreshed they haven't had this in a while and there's some folks that have been out there without you know consistently like we've been here some most residents have been here at least two weeks now mm-hmm. and so a lot of them the majority of them if not all of them have not had shelter for this extended period of time just even two weeks yeah and so you you can see it yeah. you know and especially as we like settle into a routine and you know get i think more of the expectations kind of clarified on on what what is and isn't here and what they can and can't do in terms of like what what's available like what can you do that is within your ability and what is it that I can do in my ability that you can't right like paperwork that's really what I'm I'm more referring to paperwork you know what caseworkers are doing because you know we we can advocate for them but i can't i can't get into those systems right um so yeah i definitely seen uh a big change in you know just overall attitude feelings Mm -hmm. um yeah and i think like that they know those are settling into they know that it's not just going to disappear tomorrow right this is staying yeah um so you've seen, like, do you think that the first couple of days um, you felt pushback because they felt like maybe this wasn't going to stay and now that it's been two weeks, um, they feel more secure and they've kind of maybe not calmed down is the correct word, but they've they feel better about it? Yeah, I would say that they definitely feel more secure, and with feeling that security has helped stabilize emotions so that we're not... I mean, I I do want to be honest in the sense of, like, we have have uprooted people. Some people have lived in that area on the south side, like, their whole entire lives. They've never lived in Grove City. They've never thought about living in Grove City necessarily. You know, they always thought that they would be there there are people who grew up honestly 
two or three miles away from where they're currently located. So their families live in those subdivisions and those neighborhoods. And so it definitely was, I think, a bit of a shock right. to come over. And I think while they were obviously very grateful for the opportunity and they were excited for it, there is that mixed emotions and especially big emotions. Right. Um, and I think that they come out in various ways and especially when you feel comfortable sharing those big emotions with somebody to be even vulnerable in that, I think. Um, and that has been like, we've all had to navigate that together. Um, because I'm not an expert in all of this. I'm just, you know, trying to learn too. Um, and so I think yeah, we've been giving each other that space, and I think that has been really, really, really helpful. But there was definitely, I would say, turbulence in the beginning because of not knowing what the new routine was going to be, right. not knowing necessarily that, you know, really believing, right? Having mm-hmm. that faith, right? Right. Never thought we would be here to begin with. So now that we are, like, it obviously can't can't be real. Yeah. You know, I think it's, like, a lot of that. Um and that comes from that living in that scarcity mentality for so long. Like, oh, you can't trust people. You have to mm-hmm. be, as like trauma responds to, you have to be hyper independent. Like, I mean, I hear you say you've got me covered, but like, do you really? So maybe I should go out here and make this money just in case you don't, you know? Mm-hmm. That I think has finally settled a bit that mm-hmm. they know that they're safe. That if there's something that comes up, they can't get into their room, they can call me, they can get a hold of staff, like, they can, they have a touch point in order to get back in. They're not just left out. Right, right. Um, That definitely, I would say, makes them feel better. So, that um, eases their mind and, and I can see how that can, can change how they feel and how they interact and. Legislation and policy changes can have a significant impact on the work of organizations like yours. Can you talk about any specific initiatives or bills your organization has supported or fought against to improve conditions for the unhoused? Yeah. Uh, so a few. Yeah. We went to city council a few times. Um, we went most recently. So yeah, yeah, yeah. So let me explain this piece. So when you go to city council, there's only some of it that's televised. Mm-hmm. Um, the like public comment portion is not live streamed. Mm-hmm. So if you really want people to hear what you have to say, you have to use something that's already on the docket already on the calendar, already up 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 for you know a for or against. So recently, I spoke for funding uh, Ryan White, which is, uh, no, no, sorry, Hopwell Program, which is um, people who are living with HIV and AIDS. Okay. And so I spoke on that specifically because I wanted to be live streamed. So during the live stream, I mm-hmm. talked about how if you love funding this, Get ready, you're going to be doing it more because you're about to evict a camp on the far south side of Columbus where we know, we know that there are people who are positive for HIV, right. who are people who use drugs, right? and so they're at risk for all the people around them if they're not able to consistently stay on their medication, right? And they're right. in this overlapping population. Right. So... 
if we support this and we say we support this and we're openly funding it, then right. we need to not then be using our time and our resources to uh, evict these camps, which cause these health outbreaks to happen in more areas as people are spread out, right? right. And now they're coming into contact with new community members they've not met before. Um, there is more of a risk because now you're broadening it to more people. And so then you could have potential outbreaks from these out from these uh, pockets that occur mm-hmm. outside of that. I really wanted to make sure that I tied that in there for them that if we want to be very intentional about what we're doing, then here's these opportunities. Let's listen to the people that are here, boots on the ground, that are working with folks in order to prevent these things and actually take heed. And I will say that um, maybe because of that testimony, maybe not. I don't know. But part of our program, our transitional housing program, we're able to use crisis services funds, which was previously only used for people living with HIV or AIDS that were um, unsheltered. Mm -hmm. But because we have fought so much for our people who use drugs to have their basic needs met and to have their rights respected, um, they have since said, okay, well, now we can give you funding for this because we're going to expand this definition to say people who also are at risk Mm -hmm. of HIV or AIDS through uh, substance use, through communal living, you know, things like that. And so that is part of how we got this program. So, um, and that's amazing that you took that jumping off point and, and connected it that way. And we're kind of able to get the money that way. Um, I mean, I don't know that that's necessarily well, I, how we got the money, but A, B, C, then yeah. it, all, it all lines up in my yeah. opinion. Um, aside from that, I went against Title IX ordinance. There was changes proposed from city council that wanted to change the definition of a structure to also include a tent. And the reason, the reason why that matters, you know, well, that on its face value is very shocking because a tent is not any kind of structure. Come on now. No, it's not. I mean, a, a, a structure should be something that the wind cannot blow over. Right. Like right. A, a tent being called a structure is, it, it, to, to me, is... is mind-blowing that they would even propose that and that is just another way that you can see them trying to target it i mean Mm -hmm. that's very specific Mm -hmm. to to be targeting the unhoused i mean what so like like that so i cannot believe like that is wow so part of the other changes that they were able to pass. So this this piece did not pass. This was struck down. They didn't pass it. However, what they did pass in this legislation was that um, it extended the definition of where the right-of-way was for the city, city-owned property. Oh, no. So, okay. So if you follow this, right, in Title IX, they said that they're doing this to go after contractors, right? So to dig deeper into this, they're saying that contractors are leaving debris in areas that they're there to do jobs for. So they're basically leaving their trash, and the city is, I'm using air quotes here, rabbit ears, uh, 
they're they're not they're not tolerating that right and so this is the changes to title nine ordinance that they're enacting i'm using more bunny ears air quotes here <laughs> um and so so some of the other pieces were that passed were that it changed the definition to broaden to you know make wider the right of way and so part of that is if you have a tent within a thousand feet of either a bike path the public right away um uh, a footbridge you know things like that where it's like metro parks that's doing that M- mostly like the the bike paths and stuff like that metro parks will own or you know a, parks a, and a tent is not trash from correct correct and that's what i said when i testified was you know that what you're passing though does go after people with tents there's no eviction notice that has to be given there's no other notice whatsoever that person's uh, tent will be immediately removed they will be removed potentially arrested if they don't go on their own and so now we are de- we're saying that the parks are no longer a safe space and that's where a lot of people end up because that's a public space people end up by rivers right right which now we are again what we're commodifying those rivers right you're putting up the the nice walkways to make it pretty like and and you're you're gentrifying basically the area and you're you're making it even less accessible to the people who would actually use that area so it's they're they're militarizing the parks like park rangers Mm -hmm. parks and rec department in my opinion um because they're the ones that are out there for these trails right and so they're out in these wooded areas they're out in, in what extending what are already bike trails, which are notorious for having camps by them because they're by the river. Right. So if I don't have access to washing my clothes normally, I might go down to the river. I might right. utilize the river to get yeah. my basic needs met, right? But now with this commodification of it, right now I'm not going to even have access to it because it's going to be a canoe inlet with a bar with an amphitheater yeah. and then the park is going to be all redone so that people who have leisure time can come and enjoy it but here these folks are just trying to survive yeah. they can't even be in that area yeah um so with title nine yeah so that is what passed and when i was talking to city council I specifically said, if this is about contractors, right, if we're talking about trash in the right-of-ways, then why don't we say that? Why don't we say specifically for this Title IX ordinance, if you're a contractor and you leave debris in X area to X area, you will be fined X amount. Yeah, like if you were working in this area and you leave your rebar, if you leave your pavement or your cones or whatever trash comes from contracting you have to pick that up but a you know a tent is not trash from contracting right like to include that in title nine is such an obvious like dig and an obvious like pinpoint like you're you're focusing Mm -hmm. this is not about the contractors and so many, so much of the legislation is um, uh, kind of bait and switch, and people miss it. Mm-hmm. And and that's what sucks is you know they 
they bait and switch you and they put all these ads out about it's about this and you know the propaganda says this thing and then they they shove this little thing in the side and nobody notices it and suddenly you know unhoused folks are being evicted and unless you've been really paying close attention to what's in the actual written document you've completely missed it mm-hmm. yeah. yeah 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 and when i said to Dave padilla who's like part of this like this legislation um like this what's gonna keep them from sweeping tents like right. like, like let's be real about it i heard i hear you say this is about contractors i hear you say that this is your intention what is the reality of this and her response to me was that if this happens, if, right, this is a very, very big thing. She said, if this happens, one, there will be a process, but never elaborated on what the process is. But then two said, again, if it does happen, those are unintended consequences. Now, do you hear how contradictory those two things are? How can there be a process if you're saying that this happening is also a consequence and therefore acceptable? Right. It, it it can't be it can't, can't be unintentional. It can't be unintentional if you have a process, and if you're deliberately leaving it in when it's supposed to be about contractors, it can't be unintentional. Correct. It shouldn't be in the terminology at all if it's about contractors, right. because tents are not a byproduct of contracting. Correct. There's no point in time where I've ever heard of a tent being a byproduct of contracting unless you're out in a desert somewhere and your contractor decided i want to stay in a tent right because i don't want to get a hotel but i've literally never heard of that <laughs> yeah so it's it's this it, it yeah it's this very open gaslighting yeah um and i i did tell city council i hear you in that these are your intentions but if your impact is harmful, then it doesn't matter what your intentions are. And as people who are in these positions to make these decisions, if you are not competent to make them, you need to step down. And if by competency, you rate that by how you harm people, right? Then yeah. I think a lot of people need to step down. They are not fit for their roles because right. they gauge it instead, like they've already said, by their intention. And intention and impact... Are, very are two different, different yeah. things. So, you know, without having that admission in how they operate, without taking steps to do more fair processes and to engage more equitably, right. nothing is going to change and they're going to continue to be in self-service to themselves. Right. Right. Um, that that definitely makes a lot of sense. I mean, if if they're just looking at, well, I didn't mean to do that and I didn't mean for that to happen. Well, it, it doesn't matter. You left it in there and you gave it the chance to happen hmm. even when somebody brought it up to you that it could be a potential bad, bad, you know, outcome and you completely ignored it. So, you know, you knew it was a potential outcome and you still gave it the chance to happen so yeah. obviously you do not care and right. and unfortunately that's how i think you know i i really have right now no love for any politician that's in office right now when we talk about this title nine ordinance that's metro parks is working on completing their great southern sciota 
park, whatever they're the mile, the Scioto Mile thing. Well, no, the this this park they're renaming it. It was here park, and they're oh. renaming it. Uh, right, yeah. right. Um, and so we are named after the original park, mm-hmm. and so it's like removing all traces of that. Yeah. And I'm sure for a reason, um, in their minds, I'm not saying it's a good reason, but they don't want that relation, right? Right. Um, and so as they're developing it, there is river access there, and so yeah. they're going to utilize where people are living currently as like fishing spots and yeah. you know family areas and. That's where this comes in. So they can legally just move people. Yeah. There's no, again, there's no notice that has to be given. And oftentimes when camps are evicted, the city will spend thousands of dollars doing these evictions, especially depending upon how many people they have, depending upon, you know, how big the camp is. I mean, we have camps here in Columbus that have 30, 35 people in it. That's not unheard of. Right. That, I mean... That's uh, a standard camp that's probably been in an area for three, four years. Like, right. if we're really being realistic about how many people are unsheltered, like, that yeah. is a, an average number to the Title IX. So, that that plays into where we're at. So, the camp behind, so where these camps are, Metro Parks is working on, yeah, connecting it all together so that you can go all around mm-hmm. and on trails. And so... That gives them the leeway to say, hey, <clears throat> you're not supposed to be here. I don't yeah. have to provide you service. I don't have to provide you a notice. You're yeah. gone. Yeah. And so that's what we have fought against um, and in going to city council because people did not realize what was happening. And then the broader implications of this is they're doing this also on South High Street. Right. And they're rezoning it. So that goes into the rezoning of all of Columbus. They are gentrifying very heavily all of that far south from the fort all the way down to Lowe's. Right. So all of that is going to be rezoned in various ways. So, like, a lot of mixed use. Where the trailer park is, Fair Lane, that's Mm -hmm. where the the camp moved to a year and a half ago, a lot of them. um, But it was already established. So where they moved to... That will be rezoned to mixed use. It won't just be residential. And so that means that area will be non-compliant with their zoning, which means they can be shut down. So that means... So are they So the, are they taking the woods out of there? So if they... So if that trailer park gets shut down, or if the people who just bought it in November decide that since this rezoning is happening... And it's mixed use. They right. would like to remove the trailer park. They would like to put in um, high-rise apartment buildings oh, with no retail shit. space underneath. They can. And this will meet that. And so that means that anybody who's living in the woods around those areas is going to be evicted. And they're going to be pushed into another area. Oh, no. Most likely outside of Franklin County. Yeah. Where there's very little resources, like, way yeah. on down, because it's close to, to, I think, Pickaway County. Yeah. And so then they just hop on over to Pickaway County, and Franklin County gets to say, washing yep. my hands, I'm done. I did yeah. what I did. And so that's really what's happening. And the further implications from that, if we, re- if we keep following this down the line, I live close near this area. I'm mm-hmm. just, like, a mile, maybe a mile and a half away. Right. And so as these things come in... The property values are going to increase. Right. Which means my taxes are going to increase. Right. 
which means I'm going to be spending more money to live in a place where I'm not making more money. Right. So I will be priced out and I will have to move outside of the city. I will have to find housing. I will have to be potentially insecure in that in right. that realm. And so it impacts everybody. People yep. who are on fixed incomes are going to be impacted right. by this. So people don't necessarily know that the fight is happening until it's on their doorstep. Right. But it's going on for a while before that. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, you know, everybody doesn't see, you know, they're like inflation, inflation, inflation. And it's like, it's already in Congress. And even though they're like, oh, it's only our food now. It's already in Congress to hit those other parts of our lives. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you really have to pay attention to it and you have to be fighting against it before it hits the other parts of our lives. You know, it's going to get to the point where the billionaires are going to own everything, literally everything. And we're all just going to be huddling out here on the streets with each other trying to stay warm. And we're not going to know what to do. Yeah. You know, it's, it's going to come down to the, we're all just going to be marching with each other, fighting against the six billionaires that own the world because they price us out of everything. Yeah. They price us out of house. They price us out of home. Right. They price us out of food. You know, it's it's getting ridiculous. I mean, I went, when, when I got the, the cereal last night, I was like, oh, maybe I can find something else to put in, you know, the mix I made. And it was like almost six dollars for a small box of fucking cereal i was like what the fuck is this and the only reason i don't know that people just so you don't think i'm crazy that i i don't know that is because my husband is the one that does the shopping in our home um (laughs) so like i haven't been to the store in a good long while and i was just like what the fuck is going on with these prices i knew inflation was horrible but like six dollars for a fucking box of cereal was like ridiculous right And, you know, people don't have time to grow their own food or to, you know, really utilize other options besides grocery stores. And so we are price gouged while the seat like that. I I think what's what's interesting is when we talk about inflation, like, first off, we existed before money existed. Yeah. Right. So, like. Money is made up. Currency is oh, yeah. made up. All these oh, yeah, stock market up. is made up. We existed before the stock market. Like, literally, the world moved before these things. And so, when we really talk about inflation, we notice immediately that the CEOs are getting more money, that oh, yeah. the shareholders are getting more money, that profits are record heights than they've ever been. And so... It's not inflation. It's corporate greed at every single step. That's what I should have said. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's it's inflation due to corporate greed. I mean, that's that's basically what it is. Yeah, I'm like, just not going to call it inflation, though, because that's not what it is. No. That, yeah. You know no, you're I mean? right. You're right. You're right. And I mean, money is just a concept. Like, money, money is a made-up concept that, like... And it's funny every time they say that we've hit our debt ceiling or that the country is in so much debt. I'm like, like at this point, money is a number on a page and you can just either print more because money is made up or you can just literally backspace that number and make it go away. There's no such thing as money. It's made up people like, and it sucks that we spend so much of our lives working for this made up thing 
Yeah. And that we stress so much about it because it's just a made up concept. It, and it, it, it like, that's, it really is. And like, we can write, like your chicken is still going to lay eggs, whether somebody pays $6 for that carton of eggs or whether you give it away. Exactly. It's the same. And so we have to, I mean, I guess it's more of, I mean, I, it's just like, we have so much, we have so much already Yeah. in terms of, of resources, right? Yeah. We don't need to do these other things. We don't need to uh, have people pay all of their money for their housing or all of their money for yeah. food, right? And then go without. There's no yeah. reason for that. Buildings no. are still going to exist whether you pay $600 a month or 100 or nothing. They're yeah. still going to be there. Yeah. And like all the, it's like the buildings, the malls that have been abandoned, that are empty, like, um, is it the mall that's on the east side that's still east mostly and yeah that's still mostly empty and you go in there and there's a few shops that have people mm-hmm. but like it's mostly empty right. and like you you think like how much if if they would move all of the shops to one specific end and they would like be able to like utilize the rest of that in like housing people and changing that into housing like how amazing that would be like but they won't ever do that because then they would be losing out on the potential of rent they would get even though all of those shops have been empty for so fucking long but it's the potential of rent that they might lose out on that they would never ever you know think about doing that yeah, I mean, it's it's that, and, like, they want to hold them off the market for a reason, right? Yeah. And so we have we have that. Um, and unsheltered people serve a purpose in the sense of them being visible. Because you know how hard it is to be unsheltered. You see what these folks are going through. Do you mm-hmm. want to be, do you want to be experiencing that? Absolutely not. So you're going to go to work. You're going to put in your 40, 50 hours. You're going to pay $1,600 for a one-bedroom because you don't want to go through that. That's horrible. That, 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 God. It's the truth. I I know, but it's so gross that, that company is fucking, that's gross. Can you share your perspective on the long-term goals of your organization and the broader vision you have for making a lasting impact on homelessness and related issues in your community? And are you a 501c3 organization? And if not, why? Uh, so yeah, long-term goals. We want to get all these residents into housing. So 27 currently. Um, and I would even like the ones who are at the camps you know, who are still around that area to, to also get into housing. So that's kind of long-term, like starting with that group, getting them into housing, getting them, you know, stabilized. Um, we are not a 501c3 uh, for a variety of reasons. I will say like the main one starting out was I'm just like terrible with paperwork. I'm a terrible like admin person. Right. If you need stuff moved, if you need like, if you tell me you need 500 cookies, like, I can probably make that happen. <laughs> if you tell me you need this spreadsheet done by end of today and I have to enter in, like, 50, you know, 50 things, 
I'm probably not going to get it done. I'm not even going to lie. I'll do like 10 and then get distracted because that's just <laughs> like how it goes usually. So that's uh, we, that's been a, a thing back and forth with us. Uh, we both have ADHD and um, getting these questions down to short answers has been very, very tough for us. <laughs> yeah, staying on topic. Well, not, you know, kind of going left to center a lot, but um yeah, so permanent support housing for them. And then some of them are, you know, working full-time or trying to work full-time. Mm-hmm. And so we hope that the stability will will help them to work up to that. And then they can get their own place and they can pay, you know, uh, these overinflated freaking, right. you know, crazy prices. Right. And also I think it gives some folks that are uh, either already rooming together and it's going well, I think mm-hmm. it gives them kind of the thought of like, well, we, we could move out together. Like right. we could have our place, you know, in, in, in this space, right. we could do this. Yeah. Um, and it gives them that ability to be in a community and not alone. Right. Right. They're not isolated. They have somebody with them who can understand and is going through the same thing. Right. So, and that's something that we've talked about a lot is really like community integration. Yeah. That isn't talked about a lot. Um, but we definitely believe in that and I definitely veered off topic. No, no, no. I, I think, I think that is important because like, you know, when, you know, they're living in a camp and, you know, even though they're living alone, they're not really alone. Mm -hmm. And then if they like move into this house, they're suddenly like, alone mm-hmm. and I think that could be hard for some of them mm-hmm. so like having this transitional period where they like have a roommate and then maybe they decide hey let's get a space together it's less detrimental mm-hmm. um so that's actually like a good point that you make yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. uh so I mean aside from that too like it costs money to file like filing for a 501 is not cheap like it's it's, it's it's hundreds of dollars like mm-hmm. uh, and it's went up uh even since we started so i never started this to become a 501c3 i never started this to become an organization i never started this to continue this long like mm-hmm. all of this happened very organically in response to what wasn't being done right right picking up that work to make sure that people weren't left out. Um, and so that's just like keeping it real. I'm I'm not an admin person. Like I just am not, not organized in those senses. Right. And so you're like, I'm just here helping the people. I don't know what else to do. I mean, I'm kind of, you know, like I do, I do know what to do. I just don't, this is where the ADHD is like hard because when I go out to the camps, I'm talking to, 10, 15, sometimes 20 different people, right? I'm, like, writing this down. Okay, now we're talking about this. I'm writing this thing down. Oh, I'm getting you this, 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 this. That is, like, an ADHD lover's buffet, you know, because you're literally doing 20 different things while you're there. And so to have to sit down and focus on, like, these specific things where you're getting data entry and you're, you're putting in, like, what, how much of something you used or inventory... I just want to fall over. Like, it's not my jam at all. Now, if you want to be out, you know what I'm saying? Like, in some tent, you know, shooting the shit, smoking some weed, like, hanging out. Yeah, I'm your girl. But otherwise, like, I'm probably not going to get that crap done. So, (laughs) that's why we're not a 501c3 and probably because I say shit like that. 
<laughs> but we we do partner with many many organizations here in Columbus. Um, we're I feel like we're pretty well connected in terms of support and going to people who do have those five hundred one c threes and saying mm-hmm. like how do we make this work? Um, because some of the connections we have. Are, one, I'm going to keep it real, real random, but because, like, I know so many people. Mm-hmm. I've been an artist in Columbus for over 10 years, so I know a lot of random people in a lot of random areas. I mentioned you to somebody at an event the other day. I was like, yeah, I help Emily here. So I was like, oh, I love Emily. And like, I was like, okay. And I was like, I was like, I feel like Emily knows everybody. Like, any <laughs> event I go to, everybody's going to know Emily. So I was like, cool. <laughs> Some people love me, some people hate me, and I feel like there's there's probably a lot of folks who are who have that. Um, but just like just networking, uh, knowing so many people. Um, oh, the five hundred one c three. Yeah, so we just partner with them to mm-hmm. to get everything kind of that we need, and we have we have Humbly Line Inc. that we're partnered with, right. and they're a five hundred one c three. So when we needed a fiscal sponsor for our grant from Comfest. Um, they were there. And so Great. we did the yeah. laundry program together where we took residents to the laundromat, right. washed our laundry. Um, and then while we were waiting, we ate pizza. Or not pizza. Oh, my God. We ate. <laughs> sometimes we ate pizza. We ate, like, in a local place. Right. And then we would come back, get our clothes together, and then we would we would take folks back. But right. at least they had clean laundry. Like, that right. was really important. Um, and so we're, we're kind of able. I just... I'm not somebody that likes to be told what to do. I know that that's shocking. And when people hear this, you know, they'll be like, huh. Um, but I don't want to be told what to do. And so. No, I mean, that's. Yeah. No, that makes sense. <laughs> there are there are restrictions with everything, yeah. right? Like if you can access funding, that's great. But of course, there's going to be restrictions. Yeah. So if the community gives and there's no strings and they say, we trust you. Yeah. Which is a big thing. And I do not take that lightly. We right. do not take that lightly. Um then you have that flexibility, which I think is what keeps an organization together. We have to be flexible. Yeah. Um, I've been in school for social work for way too long. And if one of the things that they teach you is that if your case plan no longer fits for that patient or client, you got to change the case plan. Right. You can't just get a whole new client and be like, all right, well, I'm going to make this work for you. Yeah. It's not that way. Yeah. We have to be flexible in order to be meeting their needs. Yeah. And, these folks are experts in their own lives. Yeah. Like when we genuinely listen to them about what their needs are, how they're feeling, giving mm-hmm. them that space, then we are able to make this big progress that we have. Yeah. To even be here. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. Definitely listening is like the biggest thing. Um, I can see that would be the most important because nobody knows them better than they know themselves. Exactly. You know, when... Um, you know, we were talking earlier, um, I was telling Emily about my time that I spent, um, where I voluntarily went in, um, because I had thought about suicide and I was telling her about, um, how it was just a horrible experience my first couple of days because they wouldn't give me my migraine meds and they wouldn't listen to me. And it was on the list that my doctor had given them for my medication and they still would not give it to me. And, um, it was just a horrible experience and they weren't listening to me. And it's like, I may be in here because I thought about killing myself, but one, I came voluntarily and two, 
a migraine med cannot make me overdose. And you're giving me one pill, which will not make me overdose. Like, I'm just asking to get rid of my migraine. And like, you really need to listen to people. Like, even if they're in a mental institution, as it's called, or whatever, like, you have to listen to them. They know themselves. Like, well, and, and in, in that vein, too, people who are unsheltered are more likely to experience um, mental health issues, mental health crisis, because they're in scarcity mentality where they're not having their basic needs met. And so a lot of um, mental health conditions have what's called a diathesis stress piece, which means that your environment plays a big impact on how your body responds. And so if you're in these consistent times of crisis of not having your basic needs met you are more likely to experience mental health issues and so potentially for example if you didn't before suffer from uh, schizophrenia Mm -hmm. being in these environments you might have that come out you might have some of those tendencies come out you might see some of those symptoms Mm -hmm. whereas if that person stayed stably housed and did not have this large amount of instability and chaos and lack of basic needs being met they may not have exhibited these behaviors they may not have had these symptoms right and so you know that really plays into it of like we're not taking care of people here in this space which leads them to now be in this space where they're even more vulnerable and still not being listened to right and so it's trauma after trauma after trauma these are these places call themselves care sites right but i think a lot of people would disagree with that considering what these experiences are actually like for them yeah yeah i would have to disagree like um you know like I told you earlier, the nurse was very rude to me. Um, I was told I would be given my meds when I got there. They were not given to me. And I was, I did get very upset and I went to my room and I laid down and she was like, are you going to act like a child? And this was the nurse. And I was like, I'm not acting like a child. I'm upset because I was told I was going to be given my meds. I have a severe migraine. I cannot sleep without my, you know, my medication to go to sleep at night. And now you're telling me I can't get it. So I'm not going to be able to sleep. I have a migraine and you're not giving me either med. I am upset. I am allowed to be upset. Like, and now I'm in an environment that, you know, I didn't necessarily want to come to, but I felt I needed to come to. And I'm having no cooperation here. Like... I understand why I cannot have my meds, but for you to not give me my meds that are clearly labeled when you're supposed to be a nurse and you know what it's for is absolutely ridiculous. You know, so I can only imagine what somebody who was put in there involuntarily and is very, very upset would be how they would be treated, you know, if, if my experience was that bad, you know, and, and I had to kind of play nice with that nurse afterwards to reconcile it in my brain. And then it was fine. But if I was somebody that didn't want to be there, you know, how would they have treated me? Mm-hmm. And then how would I have reacted? And it would become this whole big loop. And I I just, and you know, they send the police out for 
those, you know, those types of situations too. And the police do not need to be responding to mental health situations. They are not equipped to respond to that. You know, too many, you've seen, we've seen too many things on the news where police have responded to mental health situations and they have ended up shooting mm-hmm. people who clearly have been in a distressed state and all they wanted or all they needed was a de-escalation and what they get is shot mm-hmm. and dead. Mm-hmm. And it it's so unnecessary nowadays that, you know, the first response from people who quote unquote are there to protect and serve. And I think you all know how I feel nowadays. Um, and if you don't, a cab, um, <laughs> because fuck the police, you know, they, they don't know what they're doing and, you know, they have less training. Every, every location I've looked at has less training than what it takes for the person that cuts your hair. A hairstylist has to have about 1500 hours to get their certification. The average cop has to have 760 hours. That is ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous that a hairstylist has to have double the amount of hours to cut hair and style hair and do whatever they need to do than a person who carries a weapon against our society. What role do volunteers play in your organization and how can individuals who are interested in helping contribute to your efforts, either through donations, volunteering, or advocacy efforts? Yeah, so volunteers are obviously like super, super, super important. I'm one person. I can only do so much. Um, So in this instance, volunteers like keep everything running. I don't run serve anymore, which has been a very recent change. And I am uh, somebody that's like, I feel like that was my baby, I guess. Um, And my baby's, like, grown up a bit and doesn't need me anymore. Um, Is like, an interesting feeling. Right. Was it it hard? Because I think last weekend was the first one, wasn't it? Last weekend was the first one. It was hard. I stayed glued to my phone, and I was like, you know. Does anybody need me? Right, basically. (laughs) Um, It went really smooth, though. Which is amazing, and I love hearing that, and I think that that's, like, super important because I, you know, I obviously can't be there all the time, and it's just, like, nice that people have the relationship that they feel comfortable being there, that Mm -hmm. they're, you know, they're just, they're, they're able to engage with residents. Like it's, it is kind of handing over the reins and saying like, I trust you to take care of them. And I'm not trying to make them infants or anything like that, but I just love these residents so much. And I've spent so much time with them. It's like your, it is your family, you know? You don't want somebody to mistreat your family. Yeah. And so I, I guess, like, protective is really the word. Yeah. Um, I am very protective of folks um, because I see them quite often. And so I see them in all different states, right? Yeah. 
when they see me, they know that it's a safe space and they don't have yeah. to put a guard up. They don't have to pretend. If they're having yeah. a hard day, we can talk about it. Yeah. You know, if they need a witness to to hear their big feelings, I can do that. If yeah. they need some place where they can, like, smoke a cigarette and hang out for a minute, I can do that, too. Yeah. You know, it's, it's providing that. Um, and then, so... Uh, you said, what role do volunteers take? And then, did you say, what's the future? Or what was the other question? Just, like, how can people get oh. involved if they want to? So, not at all. <laughs> I mean, kind of. Uh, well, that was going to be the next question, is what did you see in the future? But, um, like, if people want to get involved yeah. in volunteering with Here to Serve, how would they do that, Em? So, that's a great question. <laughs> if uh, folks want to get involved, which we're always down for folks, you can hit us up on social media. We have mm-hmm. Facebook. We have Instagram. Um, and we can get you, we have like some, we're doing like little like new volunteer intakes that we're trying to, you know, really match up so that when people come to serve, we're able to know kind of more what the expectation is, Mm -hmm. um, you know, who's going to do what, you know, those kind of things as well as like, what is our mission? What is our core values? Mm -hmm. What are our community guidelines? Like those kind of things. So Getting a hold of our social media, you can also email us at here, H-E-E-R, two, T-O, serve, S-E-R-V-E, at gmail.com. And if you can hear my southern accent and you're laughing, that's fine. <laughs> I am going to have all of the links to all the socials and the emails in the show notes. So those will be available if you'd like to look at those um, to get in contact with Emily or here to serve at all to volunteer. Mm-hmm. That's just to volunteer, though. If you yeah. want to, you can donate to us. We do have Cash App, Venmo. I will include those as well. And then we, I mean, we really try to make it so that everybody can get involved. If you'd like to make food, we have a sign up genius that you can sign up for. Which I will also include. And then we also <laughs> have an Amazon wish list if you prefer, you know, just to send it. If you're from a different state or you're from, you know, you just don't have time, whatever, you can just send it and we'll, we'll get that brand new beautiful package and put it to use. Yes. So everything that she just mentioned will all be included in the show notes so that if you want to do any of that, you can um, send all of that or any of that to her or you can contact to um, volunteer or sign up to cook because we do need food every single week, either at the hotel or at the serve. And it's for about 30 people, so it's not a lot. So anything will help, literally, and everybody is so appreciative. So don't feel like, you know, oh, I don't know how to make anything. Literally, if you know how to make spaghetti, you know how to make something. Mm -hmm. So yeah, just, and if you have any questions, just feel free to to message and um, somebody will get back to you about that. And then the last question, which you kind of brought up already, was where do you see Hero Serve going in the future? Oh, where do I see us going in the future? Um, I really don't. I don't know. I think I see us staying in this advocacy space. I don't genuinely feel like there's enough people in this space mm-hmm. um, and enough people that are willing to put their organization at potentially, you know, uh, not 
going against like the grain. Okay. Right? So like yeah. really going against these harmful policies. Mm-hmm. People have to be willing to be there in these meetings. They have to be willing to kind of stand up in these spaces. And so I really feel like that is genuinely where we're needed um, and where we have shown that we can be very effective. You know, we did, um, we had people email and call city council and we flooded them. We had OSU students working on it. We had DSA members. We had people from PSL, all these different groups coming together to flood these same people's inboxes right? with this advocacy for these folks. Right. And so I feel like considering we... We started three and a half years ago out of the trunk of my car, and now we're in hotels working on permanent supportive housing for folks. Like, the sky is the limit. And I know it's a lot of crap. It's a lot of layers to dig through. But I feel like we have have inserted ourselves in the space where we have said we are advocating for these people. And we're using our platform to advocate them, advocate for them. And now we're going to expand our platform to give them seats at the table because they should be here making their their own statements about right. what they want, right? So, right. like, from this, right, I see us saying this advocacy space, I really feel like we're going to focus on a union. Okay. And so I want to start our residents by having these meetings so where we can unionize and start getting this idea and this action to other camps. Because in terms of community building, this is this could be epic, right? This yeah. could be like very large here in Columbus where we could demand the right to shelter. We could demand that they declare shelter a right here in Columbus and then yeah. we would have nobody outside otherwise we can bring that would be amazing right lawsuits you can bring this legal yeah. piece and so that's like one of our biggest things um is working on these working on this yeah. and bringing these voices to the table who normally do not get to be there and that's yeah. not fair they need to be front and center they know what they need right they are expert in their own lives and, and so often they're just fighting to survive they don't even get the chance to be at the table they don't even know what's going on at the table never mind being there they're just trying to survive you know to the next day to the next hour right you know so that that creating that would be so amazing just like listening to you talk is i have to say one of the most amazing things and I know you're sitting there and you're laughing <laughs> because you don't see yourself, I think, the way other people see you because you're like, I'm just doing this because I love these people. But like you, like you said, you made this from the trunk of your car and this is where you are now. And all of us would not be here if it wasn't for you. And I want you to think about that for a moment because all of these people like that you have in these chats and that you brought together and all of these other organizations that you partnered with like you did that none none of these volunteers would be here without you so i want you i want you to take a moment and just think about that and like give yourself some grace when you're feeling like you haven't achieved something yeah yeah i mean that's yeah and i I am sitting here laughing while you're saying these things because it's it's 
I think it's also like a trauma response to not take the compliment, right? Because you're like, oh yeah, definitely, I get it. Uh, the trauma response, yeah. So, so yeah, here I am exhibiting one, like point blank. Yeah. Um, like, no, I don't, I don't like, to, I don't like to take the compliment. It's, yeah, it's yeah, gross. And it's, it's funny. <laughs> it is funny because I do these interviews and I, I've like done, I've done like you know a wide variety of things. And I don't actually like the spotlight. Hilariously enough, I do I not like that. the spotlight. I would rather just be like, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like kicking it in the back, whatever, doing my thing. And so hilariously enough, maybe people will find this find this humorous. I don't know. I layer up, right? I'm from West Virginia. I grew up poor, mm-hmm. right? Like your jacket's not always going to be enough. So come on, let's get these layers on. Let's get going. And I don't care what I wear. I wear a lot of clothes that are donated because I don't have one. Again, I'm still poor, so I'm not spending all this money I don't have on clothing. And two, I don't, I don't engage in fast fashion. And so that's just basically how I roll. And there's this connotation, even though uh, I'm showing up in these spaces and I have car keys around my neck because of the way I'm dressed, people assume that I'm unsheltered, that right. I'm with the group that I'm in in terms of socioeconomic status. Right. And so I get to see right off the bat how they treat people. Right. Like for this program, yeah. one of our staff, I walked in. She had no clue who I was. She'd never met me before. Right. Right off the rip, she says, hey, sweetheart, do you know who your roommate is? I did not. She said it very kindly. She said it very kindly. Uh-huh. She eye contact, you know, she had getting stuff ready for me to take up to the room. So I was like, okay, bad. Like, that's a really good way to talk to somebody. Like, hey, you're here. Like, who's mm-hmm. your roommate? Let's get you settled. Um, and to be completely transparent, I have had, um, you know, instances where, you know, people didn't know who I was. And they were very unkind. They were very, like, rude because they thought that I was unsheltered. And so doing these kind of things where I am a little more under the radar and not, you know, not in the spotlight all the time, it allows me to really see Mm -hmm. what our residents are going through, what our folks are going through in terms of these sites. And so, um, yeah, that's another reason why I like being low-key is, like, I can really get a clearer picture of what's going on. It's right. not a show put on for me. Right. It's reality. Yeah. Yeah. No, I can see how, how that would happen. I mean, I'm not. Right. <laughs> like, right. I, I, I'm down here in my sweatpants and my, my big old boots. And, you know, I, I look like I could be going out hunting or something, you know, like, so I don't, I don't do the fast fashion either. I have clothes that I've had for like eight years. Um, you know, my husband and I don't, don't go shopping so I completely get it like how how that could happen and you know people do treat people differently when you know the way they dress and all that stuff which is just absolute bullshit and it's it's you know, classism it's, it's a it's, it's a definitely very, classism it's yeah. a very easy example of classism uh in judging people based on how they're dressed absolutely and right. you know I I personally don't put much emphasis on matching you know and things like that so like i do like to say you're not going to get me to match my socks that is peak capitalism and i won't do it (laughs) right if my if the job of these socks is to keep my feet warm then it don't matter what they look like like let's just (laughs) let's just put the damn things on and, and call it a day so 
That, that that's hilarious. So you will never have matched socks. I don't have matte. I got one. No, no, she did. She definitely does not have matched socks and on right I now. I got a brown. I got a gray and a brown sock one. They're two different even knits. Like one's from the hospital I got for free. I don't know where this one came See, from. See, that's I couldn't do the different textures. I could do the I can do the different colors, but they can't be different textures to me. Oh yeah, these yeah. are okay textures. There are some textures I can't do, but these are the okay ones. These <laughs> are the okay ones. <laughs> I'm used to the grippy sock ones. I've been in there enough. I'm like, hey, I got a lot of you at home. We'll just pick one out. I got call it a day. And you got different colors, so you know, we're like, oh, the green one. Right, that's right. from the three days. That's from the three. That's from where I was in the hospital over yeah, here. Yeah, the, the gray ones. Those are the seven day ones. I remember those. All right, guys. Uh, so. This is uh, this was the interview with Emily from Here to Serve. Um, like I said, I'll have all of the information for contacting or donating or buying anything off of their wish list in um, the. <laughs> We're laughing in the show notes. So um, if you'd like to know anything else about them, please hit up their socials. And thank you for joining me on Just an Avocado White Woman.